Well, hi, and welcome to today's Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. It's always a pleasure to get together with you. Today, we want to welcome Jake Clunch, lead pastor of Eagle Heights Church. First of all, welcome to the program. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. And I'm excited to learn more about Eagle Heights because when I make the little journey down Macon Road sometimes between uh, Germantown Parkway and Houston Levy Road, there's that little windy stretch of Macon Road. Right. There's these like warehouse spaces. Matter of fact, at one time, it was a very strategic place because the Remington Ammunition Plant was located there. The train tracks that's now the Green Line used to haul ammunition out of that factory Remington factory to supply the war. Other probably needs of Remington customers, too. That was way before you came, right? Yes, it was long before we came, for sure. (laughs) But we had heard that story. That's an incredible story. I remember being as a kid, when you would drive that far out making road, my goodness, you were like way out in the country, you know? I mean, you (laughs) were so far out. Like going out to Herb Parsons Lake, you thought you would never get there. My dad used to take me as a kid, but that was the stretch of road that you would take. You grew up in southern Louisiana. Did you grow up wrestling gators and fighting crocodiles? In fact, I I guess some would say that I did. Uh, I sure did. I I grew up on the edge of of the swamp there in Louisiana, the the kind of the swamps of Lake Pontchartrain and Lake Marpaul, and we didn't really have a lot to do. Kind of grew up in in the... country cajuns and and so we we went out and we caught gators and frogs and all of that for fun i was somewhere up in mount view arkansas with my family a couple years ago this restaurant and gator was on the menu and i said we've got to try it so i don't know if it was fresh as what you're used to eating down in louisiana but boy it was pretty good it probably was pretty fresh because gators are all over louisiana so i would i would think it was probably pretty fresh and yes gator is delicious Jake, you mentioned Lake Pontchartrain, which also brought back some memories for me as a boy. I spent a lot of time in New Orleans because my aunt and uncle lived there. My uncle was a car salesman for Canal Ford. So uh, there was this amusement park called Lake Pontchartrain Amusement Park. Right. Right there on the, the water, right? That's correct. That's correct. So did you ever go there? It closed down when I was a little boy. Okay. I was probably eight or nine years old when it closed down. And I, if I went there, I don't remember going. But, but you know, obviously have heard a lot of stories of my yeah. relatives and yeah. so forth going. Well, I had some fond memories of going there and some great memories of hanging out there in southern Louisiana, going crabbing and catching mud bugs and those canals back behind my uncle's house, we used to have so much fun playing in those things. Uh, your dad was a pastor. That's correct. Did you feel like growing up in a pastor's home that might have limited your childhood experience? You know, I would say that my dad did a really good job of kind of allowing us to just be kids and children. And he was an outdoorsman as well. So we did a lot of stuff outside. He did a good job of balancing ministry and family. So as far as that aspect of being a pastor's kid, yeah. I have good good memories of just having a really good childhood in South Louisiana. So how many generation of clunches have been there in that area? My great, great, great great-grandfather moved into the North Louisiana area in the early 1800s and homesteaded several hundred acres during the Homestead Act. He basically settled that area, a town there in northern Louisiana, 
So a lot of generations. And then on my mom's side, they were more Cajun people down from southwest Louisiana, and they go back actually to almost the late 1700s. Wow, a lot of history so, in your yeah, family. Yeah, a lot of history in my family. Okay, so you met Ashley in mm-hmm. high school. Mm-hmm. What, what was the initial attraction? Uh, she was beautiful. You know, <laughs> still is beautiful, but... Her personality, she had a similar personality to my mom, which they say that young men marry their moms, and I call her my Cajun beauty. Shortly after graduating high school, you married, Mm -hmm. so you couldn't have been that old, right? No, I was 21 and she was 20. Okay. Yeah. What about newlywed adjustments? What was some of the, you know, you get married on the bliss, but then sometimes there's the bane, you know, after you've been married for a little while. What was some of the issues you dealt with as newlyweds? I would just say dying to ourselves. Of course, one of the central keys to a successful marriage, but as young people really getting married very young, there was a whole lot of self-centeredness still there. So dying to ourselves, and then my wife got pregnant about six months after we got married. So then we had a baby and hadn't been married, but just just over a year. I'm familiar with that story. So that threw <laughs> that threw a loop into it for sure. I also want to talk about a period in your life, late teens, where you fell away from Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, before we go there, tell me about your initial experience to the gospel. Of course, just because your dad was a pastor and you grew yeah. up in a church, there was a point, I'm sure, sometime in your life where you made that decision that Christ, what he did on the cross, was relevant to you, mm-hmm. and you accepted his grace. You realized that's all you could do, you know? Yes. When was that point for you, Jake? I think I was about eight years old. Um, I just really remember in uh, children's church, you know, at my dad's church, we had a wonderful uh, children's pastor that did just a great job of, of explaining the gospel in a way that a child can understand it. And so I remember, you know, one particular Sunday in children's church, just really realizing what Jesus did for me on the cross. And that night, I asked my dad to come to my room and lead me to Christ. You know, I, I told him I wanted to get saved and receive Christ. And so that was the moment that, that I asked Christ into my heart. To me, that's one of the most beautiful testimonies, of even when a child, Jesus said, suffer the children to come to me. You know, some people might feel, well, I don't have a drug and in prison and testimony mm-hmm. and then coming to Christ. Well, really, maybe you could thank God for that, right, uh, having correct. been nurtured in a home that was consistent enough as a pastor, because I'm yeah. sure there's it could go either way, Sure, but you saw there was something there. Life in Christ was, was a reality for you, a need for you. Sure. And you mentioned, you know, my last latter teenage years, I had a falling away from the Lord where, you know, in my latter teenage years, I had grown up in the church my whole life and I loved God, but I had seen the church. I had seen the the ugliness of what some people see in the church, yeah. you know, the, the hypocrisy. God and God's people sometimes are two different things. You know, all of us are still human and, yeah. and we make mistakes. And so those kinds of things uh, led to me really running from the Lord because uh, I think my view of God began to be a little tainted by God's children. Right. You know, yeah. instead of really looking at God, I looked at God's people. Yeah. And I, I kind of began to run from the Lord at that point well, in my life. During that time, did you pull Ashley down with you? And how rock bottom did you get? 
you know, I kind of began to run from the Lord in my latter teenage years, and then I wasn't really angry with with God. It wasn't like I never went to church, but I became that what I like to call CEO Christian Christmas, Easter, or any other special occasion. Yep. So then when we got married, um, I really just kind of began to pursue materialism and you know growing up in a pastor's home didn't have a whole lot of money and didn't have the nicest of things growing up and so I always told myself when I get older I'm going to make a lot of money I'm going to have nice things you know I'm going to drive the nicest cars live in the biggest homes so I very early in my life began to pursue that type of lifestyle but in the process, I kind of left my wife, you know, and my newborn son behind all the while thinking I was doing good for them by working hard and trying to provide a good life. But I, I wasn't being the man of God I was supposed to be. I wasn't leading my home. I wasn't going to church with them. So Ashley was was there, but she wasn't really there, if you know what I yes, mean. Yes. You know, she was there and available and desired to be my wife, but her husband really wasn't there doing the things that he needed to do, uh, which, of course, her husband, me. And so that was kind of the begin the process of God bringing me to that rock bottom place. Your story, Jake, about falling away, the prodigal, you know, yeah, story in the right. Bible, we see that. What's the root cause why some start well in Christ in their youth, going to camp or something took place in a youth meeting, they're sharing Christ on their campuses, they're going big for God, but then they kind of get disheartened, you know, they, mm-hmm. they, they lose their fervor, their passion for the Lord. And many of these students get swept away when they go to college. Right. I don't know if there's one in particular root problem because I think every single uh, kid is different. You know, my experience as a kid and then getting into my teenage years when I began to kind of run from the Lord is different than other young people in their experience. But I think really at the end of the day, I guess if you could just identify one particular thing, it would just be, you know, the pull of the world. The pull of the world is is strong. The pull of the flesh is strong. And, uh, you know, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Uh, but against powers and principalities in the flesh is one of those powers. You know, our flesh likes to live for today, the impulses of the flesh. Yeah. It lives for the moment as to where the spirit sees ahead yes. of the moment. I think a lot of young people, as they get older and they kind of get out into the world, especially as they go into college, The pull of the flesh is very strong. Stronger than I think we realize, right? Yes, yes. (laughs) When you go to the beach sometime, and if you don't understand the tides and the rip currents, they're strong, and they can pull you so quickly. Exactly. So many of our kids, and just from being a pastor, I deal with parents, you know, that have kids in college, are going to college these days to get an education, but then at, at the end of the day, most of them really don't get a great education. They get an indoctrination. So that whole indoctrination is built around catering to the flesh and a carnal mindset. Everything that means success in life has to do with what you can do and possess on this side of eternity rather than in heaven in God's kingdom. And so I think that that's that's part of what's going on in our society today. Setting our minds above where Christ is seated is a challenge for us, not just for college-age students, but for a man that's almost 60 years old. Exactly. 
Do you feel that pastors' children need a little more space for failure with a ton more of grace and love when they do fail? I do. You know, as a maybe we all need that, right? I, I think we do. I think we all need that. And as a pastor's kid, and then as a um, father of pastor's kids. One of the things that, you know, I guess have taken from being that child and then being the father of those children that I try not to put undue burdens and expectations on my children. I try to allow them to see the ministry and God's kingdom as something fun and enjoyable, a blessing to be a part of rather than a requirement yeah you know now certainly we have requirements and we have rules i mean you know you grow up in my home you have to come to church yeah. that so far has worked for us not without its challenges sure but i think definitely you have to be gracious with your children okay so what about this call to ministry how clear and specific was the call that you were going to be a pastor in the early part of the call, it was a clear call to surrender to the ministry. And then as I began to move into the calling, in other words, pursue the calling yep. over over the, you know, the desires of my flesh, then the specifics of that call got much clearer. So I wasn't sure if I was going to be a missionary or if I was going to be in the business sector and then have a ministry that would right. go out from the business sector if I was going to be an, an attorney to bring Jesus justice into our yeah. culture, I, I yeah. wasn't sure what I was going to do, but I knew that no matter what I did, I would be in ministry. And then as I moved into that call, the specifics of pastoring got clearer. I like what you said there. The key word was you surrendered. That's it. Right. And sometimes we kind of want God to give us the playbook first so we can flip through the pages and say, I don't know about that, God. I, you know, I like this page, but you got to cut this part out. That's not the way he works in our life. Surrender is the key. Something can't come out of the ground and grow until it has first gone into the ground and died. A seed has to die in the ground before it can come forth as a tree or as a plant and then bear fruit. Yes. In God's kingdom, that's the way that things operate. Yeah. You have to surrender. You have to die to yourself so that God can live with inside of you. So you're doing life in Louisiana. You're eating all the gator you want. You're having mm -hmm. fun with your family. You're growing them. You're doing ministry. God's, I'm sure, blessing and growing you in the work and those that you ministered to are growing in their relationship with Christ, but you come here to Memphis, Tennessee. <laughs> so you left the beauty of Southern Louisiana to come mm -hmm. to Memphis. I remember Adrian Rogers, when he was first called to come to Memphis, he says, I didn't even know where Memphis was that even <laughs> existed on the map. You know, he left the beautiful ocean coast yeah. to sit on the banks of the Mississippi River. Tell me about that transition for your family. And aren't we glad that he came to Memphis? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, it was definitely one of the most difficult decisions of my life. You know, Louisiana is home. It will always be home. I miss it a lot as far as the culture and, and the food and, you know, LSU football and all of that. <laughs> uh, it was a tough decision. But when you've surrendered to the Lord and when God calls you to, to do something, you know that if you if you stay in the promised land when you're not supposed to be there, if you're supposed to be with Laban, then you're going to be miserable. And so I really just felt like the Lord 
was calling us uh, to, to Memphis. We just obeyed the Lord. When you talk about Jake's surrender, how difficult was it for you to surrender your fan loyalties to LSU to become a Memphis Tiger fan. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if I've surrendered those loyalties, but I am a Memphis Tigers fan. As a matter of fact, a young man in our church played for the Memphis Tigers. I'm sure everybody will know the name when I say it, but Joey Magnifico, he's in our church. So I don't have a choice. I have to be a Memphis Tigers fan. you got to root for a couple of teams. That's right. Jake, with all the hurt and brokenness in people's lives today, is it possible for a church to have strong families? Is it even possible? When you look around, people feel afraid and fearful and looking at things going on in our world today. Is it possible to have a church producing strong people? I believe it is. Everything is and anything is possible with Jesus. So when Jesus is the center of anything, then everything that is around Jesus then becomes successful. So when you center your marriage, when you center your family, when you center your life, you know, if you're a single person, if you're a young person, no matter where you are, if you center yourself, if you have Jesus as your foundation, then things work out. They may not always work out in our timing or in our choosing, but at the end of the day, they do work out, and God blesses. And so I do believe it's possible. Uh, Psalm 1, and you're probably familiar with the psalm, talks about the blessed man. and One of my favorites. And, and it says in that chapter there, he knows the way of the righteous. Right. Yeah. And that stood out to me recently when I was reading that, that yeah. he knows the way of the righteous. Yeah. It says, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. For he will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bears forth its fruit in its season. And so one of the things that I really love about that verse, it talks about the difference between someone that lives out of their flesh and then someone that lives for God's kingdom and is really planted in the family of God. That person that is planted in the family of God and, and in the kingdom of God is like that tree that's by the, the rivers of water, and it, it, it bears fruit. It does what it's supposed to yes, do. Yes, yes. You know? and, and it talks about the wicked and sinners are like chaff. That's right. That the wind just blows, blows and, away. And there, there's no substance. There's That's right. no, no roots, nothing to hold them together. That's correct. Yeah, I think when we get away from the Lord, when we get away from the things of God, that's when we begin to be driven to and fro and tossed about, the Bible says. You know, we, we become double-minded people. We're uncertain in our ways. We're not decisive anymore. We have a difficult time with our emotions. Jesus, when we're founded on him and when we're centered on him, he comes in and he helps us with all of these very critical components of our life, you know, our emotions, our mind, our decision-making, everything just begins to fall into place with Christ. What can the church do better when it comes to engaging our culture and our world today? You know, the church always can love better. We can always reach out to our community, into our nation, into our world uh, better. I, absolutely, it's, it's the love of Christ that draws men and women and young people in. But I, I think something else that the church can, can do better, at least that I've been noticing as a pastor, I believe we can just get better at getting back to our message. 
getting back on focus, you know, the message of God's word and his kingdom. I've been saying this a lot recently, but people that are in the world, when when they come into contact with the church, when they come through the doors of the church, they're not looking for more of the world. They're in church because they've had enough of the world. They're looking for something different. And so I think that the church in the last 20 years or so, maybe we've gone a little too far in the direction of trying to look like the world in order to be appealing to the world. We need to kind of come back to center. Mm-hmm. and get back on message because people are looking for something different. Yeah. They're looking yeah. for the real thing, the yeah. genuine article, and we've got it. His name is Jesus. Jake, basically there's two groups of people on planet Earth today, mm-hmm. saved and unsaved. How can the saved better compel the unsaved to surrender to Jesus Christ? You know, I believe it was Francis of Assisi said, every day and in every way I preach the gospel and sometimes I use words. Oh, yeah. I think that the life that we live and lead is our greatest witness for Jesus. People that have been in the world, and, and I've been in the world for a season of my life. I'm sure you have been, too. We all have our testimonies. There came a time in my life when I was sick of the materialism. You know, there, there wasn't a car I could buy, a home I could get. There wasn't yeah. a beer that I could drink that would make me happy. Yeah. I had had enough of the world. Yeah. I needed something real. I, I really think that at the end of the day, living our lives as believers um, and, 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 you know, showing the world who Jesus is with our lives, steady, consistently following and pursuing Jesus. Then when God gives us that opportunity to use our words, our lifestyles can back up the words that are coming out of our mouths. Yes. And so therefore, they actually have weight yeah. that, that goes along. Our words yeah. have weight that right, goes right. along with our lifestyle. That's really a good word. There's got to be some joys that you experience Pastoring Eagle Heights, what stands out to you as some of them? Wow, so so many joys. Um, seeing children being born to dedicated as a baby, then receiving Christ as a young child or a teenager, being yeah. baptized, wow. to seeing a professed atheist that came in to basically debate with me about why God wasn't real to hanging around and ended up giving his life to the Lord and getting baptized and is now a solid member in the church. Just seeing so many lives that were changed and are a part of the family of God that that were not a part of the family of God when Eagle Heights wasn't here. So that that's been I guess the greatest joy of my life is you know you you always ask the question all right God is there really a reason for my wife and my family moving here? Yeah, yeah. And and then he reminds me well look at all these people. Those the answer the answer is yes because I brought you here for them. You know not that I'm the answer Jesus is the answer yes. but but there always has to be a conduit for things to flow through. Well, you know, Jake, Paul and John both talked about when they referred to those children of the faith that were Mm -hmm. under their ministry, how much joy it gave them to see them doing well, living for the Lord. Yes, and that is the greatest joy. Uh, I think any pastor would say that. The, The greatest joy of pastoring is just seeing your people get it. 
Yeah. And then really began to live for the Lord, and it just absolutely changed the entire trajectory of their lives. What do you hope that a first-time visitor is going to experience when they walk through the doors at Eagle Heights? The very first thing that we would hope they would experience would just be the warmth and the love of Jesus and his family. They would walk through the doors, even pull onto the campus and feel like God is here. This is a piece of heaven on earth. That's kind of one of our goals is, you know, Jesus said, pray and ask that heaven would come to earth. You know, we want people when they pull on to the church campus, you know, or when they walk through the doors to say, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what, our time on the program is is gone, so we're going to have to say goodbye. But for those who want to come and experience for themselves, tell us how to find the church. So the address is 9408 Macon Road. We are in between uh, Berry Hill Road and Houston Levee Road. That narrows it down. You're on the north side of Macon. That's right. Yeah. So we're on the northern side of Macon, and we're we're heading out east too. So it would be northeast, like you're kind of headed out further in into the country. Yeah. Before you get to Houston Levee, if you get to Macon Hall Elementary School and you're heading east, you've gone too far. Yeah, and you're kind of not too far from there's a little golf putt putt and driving range. Yes. So there's there's the golf putt putt and driving range. There's a big farmer's field between us and the golf drive. Range and you can also go to our website. It's just real easy. It's uh, the letter E, the letter H, Memphis.com. That stands for Eagle Heights, Memphis.com, and you can get all the directions and sermons and all of that there. Um, find us on Facebook, Instagram, Eagle Heights Church of Memphis. Jake Clunch. God bless you, my brother. Really good to be here. Thank Thank you you for having me. Thank you so much for what you do for Christ's kingdom through Eagle Heights Ministry. Thanks for sharing your story with us today. It was a blessing to be here. Always love to talk about Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. Thanks for stopping by. I'm Byron Tyler. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. God bless. Today's Mid-South Viewpoint is brought to you by Navage. Just think about all the nasty stuff we breathe in every day. You know, the dust, allergens, bacteria, pollen, pollution. You know the things in Memphis here. What are we breathing? Well, if you wash your hands and brush your teeth every day, then why aren't you cleaning your nose to clean out all that junk that's trapped up in there? Let me tell you about this product. If you suffer from allergies, sinus infections, or are worried about what you're breathing in, it's called Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. What's Navage? Well, it's the world's only nose cleaner with powered suction. People that have suffered from lifelong allergies call Navage a complete game changer. They are breathing more clearly, sleeping better, snoring less, and feeling a whole lot better. In fact, 90% of people who use Navage report feeling healthier. Now with cold and flu season just around the corner, why not make Navage part of your daily health routine? Experience what it's like to truly breathe better, sleep deeper, and feel healthier. Go ahead and visit Navage.com. That's Navage.com. Or you can find Navage at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Target. Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. N-A-V-A-G-E.